I think so. After that, um, I ended up getting a phone call from my dad on my pretty much around my 21st birthday, and, and so he was like, "Hey, um, job opening?" Because he had, you know, sure had seen my last five years of uh, working, and he's like, "This something needs to change here." And so he um, was like, "Hey, I got this job opening here. It'll change your life. Come here." And so I went there. But then I think at that point. I really dove into real estate, and I think once I started, all these people that would come to me and ask me questions and ask me different things about real estate, and really were like kind of putting their their faith in my responses. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. I am so fired up today to have Matt Riley on with us because Matt Riley's story is one that is so incredible and yet so relatable. He is the guy that most of us were or maybe even are now, which was we were trapped in our jobs, not loving it, not living the life that we wanted to live. And Matt has broken through that barrier. He now has 35 units. He's got 39000 a month in rental income, 15 net, maybe 15 to 17, let's say. So he's done it. He's created a life of financial freedom and come from a very humble place like most of us. And so for today's story, Matt, and the way I want you to take us in to this episode is tell us the story about when you were looking for investments and you took those big time investors with you in your car. Give us that story and get us going. <laughs> Thank you for the intro, and uh, there's probably no better story from a humbling beginning than that story right there. Um, yeah, I was just talking about the other day. So I used to go uh, to real estate seminars probably when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, um, and just like most of us, didn't have a car. And so the car that I did have, my stepdad bought it. I ended up going with him to go buy it. He bought it from some guy like three blocks away that, you know, and I went with. And I remember he bought it for like $900, $800 at the time, uh, 92 Pontiac Sunbird, which I still think is one of the best cars. I don't know if it's on the road anymore, but if it is, it's top five cars on the road. Totally. That thing's a beauty. Um, so it started off like a good car, but I'm 16 years old. So I drive it like a jerk, I'm sure. And I'm, uh, you know, so... At first, though, going to those seminars, I didn't have a car. So my my poor mom, you know, it's out in an area called Schaumburg. So at that time, it was probably about an hour drive. And so I would take her with, or she would take me, and she would drive me, and I would go to these seminars, and she would just wait in the car for an hour while I'm inside these seminars. And I remember being the broke 16, 17-year-old. The, one of the reasons why I wanted to go is because they were offering – in the, I don't remember if it was like a, a newspaper art, but they were like $50 for anybody you bring to these seminars. And so I was like, oh, no problem. I'll, and so I was bringing like a buddy of mine. I was, I was like, does my mom count? She's in the car. Like, can I get 50 bucks? And I remember uh, that. And so it was hosted by these two young guys who are probably, if I, if I, I would say they're probably maybe my age, probably maybe younger though. And so that was like the real, like, oh man, these guys are doing it and they're bragging, you know, it was real braggadocious type seminar. And I remember, like I said before, they, at one point they got the whiteboard and it was down the street from a dealership. And I remember them saying like, never did I think that, of all the things and I, I could, I'm driving past this dealership before I started in real estate. And I'm like, Oh, I wish I could buy that car. I wish I could buy it. And then, uh, he's like, now all I got to do is take this card out and I could buy any car on that lot. And you know, 16, I'm like, wow, I only have a, you know, I don't even have a car at that point. So I was like, this is crazy. Um, 
So I ended up getting in with them. You know, I would stick around afterwards, ask questions. They saw me there every day, uh, sitting in the front, trying to, you know, ask questions and stuff. And so they ended up pulling me off to the side one day and they were like, Hey man, tell me your story. Like what's going on. And so, uh, you know, they must've liked me enough where they're like, Hey, we're actually going to this deal. They're going, they're going to meet a seller. Maybe I forget what it was at that point. And uh, why don't you come with us actually? Why don't you drive? And now at this point, I've been there for probably six months or however long. And so I had my car at that point and they were like, why don't you drive us? And that'll give us time to talk and we can go over any questions you might have. And in, and I'm like, yeah, no problem on the surface inside my body. I'm like, Oh my God, I got to put these guys in my car. Like I had no intentions of this at all. And so I remember the other day I was on a donut at that time. So I wasn't even supposed to be driving, but I didn't have money to go buy a new tire. So, you know, donuts, you're only supposed to drive on donuts for what, 20 miles, maybe. I mean, literally just to get you off wherever you are to the nearest. Well, I was driving on a donut, like it was a real tire. So at that point I was like, all right. And so they get in the car and we're driving and Sure enough, man, on that expressway, that car just starts getting a little goofy, starts shaking a little bit. And these guys are talking and, I, and they're in suits. They're really dressed nice. And I can just kind of see them like looking around a little bit, broke down on the expressway on the way to meet the seller. And so uh, we ended up getting to like a shop and we waited for like a half hour. And, and uh, they were like, we don't have more time to wait. So if you want to get this fixed, you know, next time you, you can come with us. And, you know, I'm sorry about this and let us know if you need anything. And they just hopped in a cab and left me. And at that point, I didn't have money for a new tire or anything. And then after that, they never talked to me again. I never had another opportunity with them. Uh, and it was kind of one of those moments where I was like, dude, is this even something I, is this even possible? Like to get from me to them, is that even a, a possible jump to get to that? Like, look at me, I, I'm broke down on the side. I can't even afford a, one tire. And these guys just hop in a cab in their suits and they're gone to go meet sellers and they're in real estate and stuff. And so that was kind of one of those moments where, you just kind of like, maybe it's just a dream. I don't know. You see it on TV. Maybe that's just not made for everybody. Maybe I don't know enough. And, you know, and so that kind of was disheartening for a while. So um, take us, so take us in. So you have this disheartening experience. What brings you back? Like, did you have to recoil for a little bit and not, and not chase your dreams and like regroup? Or was it just like, no, I'm still committed to my dreams. I just got to find another way. I think that's what it was. So it was definitely a, uh, I don't want to call it a setback because I wasn't, there was nowhere to even set me back because I wasn't anywhere at that point. So I couldn't even, if anything, I was just like emotionally or mindset setback at that point where I did have that like, all right, you know, and again, like in any time, especially at that time, I'm looking at my friends and I'm like, maybe it's just, maybe I'm just supposed to be like them. You know, maybe I just had these dreams and and it was temporary and I'm a young kid and maybe it was dumb and, you know, I'll just keep going to work at FedEx and UPS at three o'clock in the morning and I'll make $120 a week and I'll save up and, you know, whatever. And so I was like, maybe, so it, it didn't knock me out of like being interested in it. And I was still always interested in it. It never made me not interested, but it made me like, oh, maybe it'll just be a hobby. Maybe it'll be something I always will be interested in reading about and talking to people about and seeing it on TV and, you know, uh, but maybe it's not a possibility. And then, um, I don't know, man, there was just something, it was just one of those things where it was just that thing that you think about all the time and like you try to, you know, you, but then eventually you become self-aware about it and you're like, okay, something is here there out of all the things that happen in your day, especially at 16, 17, 18, like, you know, you're going to parties, you're doing all these things that can distract you. And at the end of the day, it was always something where I was like, I don't know, man, 
you'd have fun and then you'd go home at the end of the night and you're like, ah, I don't, is this what I want though? Is this like, is this how it's going to be forever? Like, it seems great now you see it in like varsity blues or like these shows where they're like, you know, Texas forever. And they're going to be in that town. And, you know, and I was like, I don't know, this can't, especially because my background was like all my friends for the most part, like they were either getting scholarships to college. Um, so that was a big turning point too, is like, that was a pivotal point of, um, I didn't do the best in high school. Um, I almost, I got in trouble so much that I, at, towards the end of high school, I almost couldn't graduate because I had too many Saturday detentions lined up where it was Saturdays past graduation. So they were like, you're no, you. And so I had to like beg and plead. And I was like, my, everybody will kill me if I don't graduate. Like you don't understand. And so all my friends were getting scholarships. They were going away. One of my buddies went to University of Chicago on a scholarship. So I'm seeing these guys, you know, one of my best friends going to a top nine school in the nation. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to work at UPS at three o'clock in the morning and I'm working this warehouse job with like acid and flavors and all this crazy stuff. And so I think that was kind of a pivotal point of being like, okay, well, they're going to do stuff and they're having fun at college, but at least they're getting degrees. And like, I, if I stay here, then what? I'll be this guy forever. And I, I just didn't want to do that. It was miserable working like that. It was just terrible. I had so many crappy jobs growing up um, because it was just, I had to pay for all of my own things. I had to pay for everything. And so it was just one of those moments where I was like, okay, this is the only thing I, I'm an idiot. And so the only thing that I know at this point is either I'm going to go work at these jobs or this real estate thing where at least I'm interested enough in it where I will sit down long enough to learn about it. Everything else, I don't know what, to, I can't go back to school and go and spend two, three years to get a degree and go. It's just, that wasn't my life. And I didn't even know if that was a possibility for me. What, so to hop in, get a degree and then what? Yeah. It seems like you have these different influences. So you have these guys in suits and all that those type of people represent, which is success. You have these people that are going to college, which doesn't seem like it fits your mold, right? You're doing detentions and that type of thing. And then you've got the people that are partying. So at that point, did it feel like the partiers were your people? Is my people, my people. Yeah, it, man. Like it, and that, that was the, like the scary part looking back on it is like, at that point I was, I loved to party, like just drinking with your friends and visiting colleges. Like I'd go visit and that's like, I look back at it and it's like, I think that helped too. Maybe in hindsight, like moving forward is like, I would go visit my friends at college and I would stay there for a week. I would just not go home because totally. I'm like, all right, I worked, I worked a week at wherever and I made a, a paycheck and now I'm just, cause I was working at a temp agency at one point too. So it's like, I don't have a guaranteed job. So I would work a week. I'd get my, and then I'd go stay with my friends for a week. And then they would wake up in the morning. Like I got to go to class. It's 8am. I'll be home by like three maybe. And I'm like, all right, man, I'll, I'll just play Xbox here and see you when you get home. And then, so I had nothing going on and like, but I loved that lifestyle at that point, I guess, because I had nothing else going on. So, so, so talk about the transition. So you've got the love of hanging out with your friends, the love of the party, the Xbox, the drinking, all that kind of stuff. And then you've got these guys in suits and their lifestyle that's appealing to you. Where does that start to pivot? Does it, does, do you start to grow more discontent with the party lifestyle or the results that are bringing it or, or how does that yeah. start to, to shift? Yeah. Cause I still like now it's, it's like engraved in me where, you know, if I have to go 
hang out with certain people, like certain friends, whatever, they're still in the same garages that we grew up in. They're still in the same, you know, they're literally two blocks away from where we grew up and things like that. And so it now especially feels like such a step back to go there. But it definitely, I think at that point with the party lifestyle and all of that, that was encompassing that it was, I think I did resent the suit guys, but on purpose, I was like tricking myself into saying like, I didn't want that. Or those, those guys aren't me, like screw those guys. Like who, you know, they're dorks or they're whatever. And, you know, I think I was just trying to trick my own brain and like, I don't want that. Who wants that? Who wants to wear a suit all day and be in real estate dorks? See you later. I'm going to go do a beer, a 20 foot beer bong at a frat house. And, you know, like I didn't care. And so I think I did trick myself into that. But then, like I said, I think the more I stayed at those colleges with my friends, I was like, okay, we're partying at whatever point, but then you are going to class and you are like, this isn't just a party for you. Like this is going to end at some point when you graduate. And then I'm not going to be like the, the movies that they make about, you know, the fifth year and six year seniors where they're like still hanging out at 40 years old, like the party, you know, while they're all gone. And then, uh, cause I knew a couple of them that already, like at that point they were like graduating or, you know, soon to be graduating and they already had like lined up jobs at like Southwest airlines at like a big, you know, corporate jobs and all these things. And, um, I was like, Oh no, like what the, I remember signing up for Facebook the first time and all my friends were in college and I wasn't even in college. So I had to make up my own, I had to pretend I had to like sandwich community high school or something I used. And it was like a running joke in our friend group of my, where I was from, because I couldn't even get on Facebook because I wasn't in college. Yeah. Back when Facebook was only for college people. Yeah, man. So I had to go, it was like sandwich community college or something in sandwich, Illinois, I think it was. (laughs) And that was like the big running joke of like when I would post on people's walls and they were like, Oh, sandwich, huh? And so, (laughs) you know, at the time it's funny. And then you, you know, you think back on it and you're like, yeah, it's not really that funny though. It's, it's kind of, you know, I'm glad I, figured I, I had fun for sure probably too much fun but so I, I, want, I want to hit you with glad. maybe a harder question so because i've had this happen to me and i'm maybe this is happening to you maybe it's not but like i've had times where people have rejected me in life and it stings and it hurts these guys in the suits they represented where you wanted to be and at a point where you weren't ready to be there and then this bad thing happens was that kind of what was going on there you are absolutely so i think and i i think it becomes more in focus as you get older and you get into different situations so i think at the time you know certain times of your life you don't realize it until you get older and you've been in other situations so i I absolutely think that's the case because at that point I, i wasn't i was committed to it but not you know i'm going to seminars and stuff and i'm reading stuff online whatever you know capabilities the internet had not that i'm 100 years old but not what we have now with like social media and stuff like that. And so like I was into it, but not, but yeah, that stung. And then the party stuff. And then when I really got into like, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I, I bought my, I started buying properties and stuff. There was a period of time in the beginning when I bought my properties where I was like, Oh, I'm the shit. I bought a three unit. Like I'm the shit I'm in real estate, man. And so now I'm talking it all the time. And there was situations in the beginning of my real estate journey where I was trying to get into rooms that I had no, I had no belongings in. I was get, trying to get into conversations I had no business being in and getting rejected in nice ways. But, and I was like, damn, like, 
I know like it, that sucks. And then it kind of makes you remember and that's a good, yeah, you nailed it. And it remembers that time period. Then you're like, that's what that was too. That's why you flipped your mindset and be like, who wants to be like those guys? Those guys are dorks. I don't want to, you know, cool. You're, you take out your credit card and go buy a car. Like who cares? I got, and I, I think that's what it was. It was a rejection thing. They, they accepted me. And then they were like, as soon as the first thing happened where they're like, oh, this guy's not even on our, they're like, yeah, see you later. You're, you're not even on our level. And I was like, oh God, thought we were, thought we had it. But they, they were good <laughs> though. And they, they did one thing for me that I still, I still think about, and I've still used in different situations. And so at that point I was working at UPS and UPS had a, I was just a regular unloader. So truck pulls up, you get two guys in a truck and you're just tearing it down, put it in a, you know. And so they had a program at that point where they would pay for a portion of your college, certain colleges. So out here in Illinois, it was like all the community colleges. It was like Moraine Valley and Chicago State and, you know, some of the other ones. So they would pay a certain portion of it. And then they would also pay a portion of your housing as well. So if you could submit paperwork for whatever reason, they would pay housing. And so I was like, I got to be a manager. I got to be a supervisor here. And, and so um, I took the test and it was actually a hard test. And I was like, yeah, now, like when I took that test and it was really hard, I was like, now I know I'm not cut out for school. So if this thing doesn't work, I'm never going back to school. Like I, it's just no way. And so I passed and became a supervisor and it was fun. Like I was excited about that because it felt like some sort of forward movement. And, and it felt like I was, it kind of felt like the suit guys because like now the supervisors with this, with those guys were looking at me like, yeah, good job, man. And that, you know, they would only talk to me and they're not talking to the unloaders and stuff. And so it, it felt good. Um, but and so, so is that how you started to reconcile your, like, cause you have this animosity towards the suit guys, which we'll call it the successful guys. As you're stepping up, does it change how you feel about, about the suit guys? Like that type of, yeah. yeah. So I think that's what it was. I think because at that point, I, I never was on any kind of even playing field with anybody in a superior position like that. And at, at any job I've ever had up until that point was all warehouse factory style jobs where you're just the grunt. I mean, literally showing up at a temp agency at seven, six o'clock in the morning and just sitting in a room until the phone rings and then they go, okay. And they hang up and they're like, we need six guys uh, to go here. You're going to be there from this time to this time pays this. Who wants to go? And you go, I do. And then they throw you in a van and then they drive to the job site and then you get driven back after the day and then they hand you your money and then you go. So at that point, that's me. That's I'm on that level of person. And so that was absolutely the first time where I was like, Oh, maybe like, this is cool. like, maybe I am at least a little bit smarter than like the average person to where I can, maybe step up a little bit. And so I remember being happy about it. And like I said, it was cool because I actually had a couple supervisor friends where like, I feel not like we were looking down on people, but I was like, yeah, man, we're super, like, we had our own little like lunch room and like our own little, like we were talking to only to each other. And so it felt good. And then I remember going to back to that real estate seminar and talking to those two guys and I was excited. And I was like, yeah, man, I was like, you know, you know how I've been working at UPS and stuff. And I was like, I actually became a supervisor. They're paying for my house. You know, it's cool. And I remember the look on the one guy's face and he was so just like uninterested. And he was just like, yeah, man, that's good. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know what that is though, right? He's like, they're just, he's like, those are what we call golden handcuffs. He's like, what, every time that you get a promotion, every time that they tell you good job, every time that they try to, it's just those handcuffs get tighter and tighter and tighter to the point where you're never going to leave. You're never going to, 
you're, you're going to keep making excuses or they're going to pay you a little bit more. So then you take on a little bit more debt and then, you know, and so it's like that rat race really begins and then you, you're never going to leave there. And at that point I was like, what? yes, I will. What do you mean? Like, yeah, I worked there for a while and then I don't know, I'll leave. And that is something that has resonated with me. It was such a small moment where literally that conversation was probably 30 seconds. But for some reason, I remember it so vividly and it, it has stuck with me over, well, I don't even know how long, 15 years. I mean, it has to be over 15 years. And I still think about it because of when I worked at the opera house too, for that 12 years. And it was so hard to leave there. And it was just like, and, and now I think that's why I'm such a stickler with people that around me that are like in corporate jobs and stuff. And it's, it, I'm that guy now. And I, I'm trying so hard. I'm, I'm doing like self work lately, which I'm because I've been called out on it. Like, Hey, you're being too rough. Like, don't like, let be happy for them. And I was like, I am, but they need to realize it. They got to realize that this, you know, it's like, I'm trying to be like the prophecy for them when it's really like, if you're happy, you're happy. But like, I am now Let me pause you right here. Yeah. So, I mean, I can totally relate with you because like once you figure this out, it's, it's like you figured out the cure for cancer and you just want to share it with everybody, but like nobody wants to listen half of the time, right? So I would love to hear your thoughts because this guy, you think you're doing amazing, right? You made it to supervisor. You're bragging to everybody. And then you tell this guy and he shuts you down. Did you immediately get the epiphany that you were doing it wrong? Or did you go through a transitionary period where you had to struggle with that emotion? I, I definitely struggled with it because um, I've always been like, I've always been like, um, like a screw you type of person. Like I, I don't, I won't, I won't back down. I was just on the phone with the yeah, exactly. I've always been very non-conventional. I was just on the phone with, um, for that deal we were talking about prior that was supposed to close at noon and three o'clock. And so I was on the phone with our attorney who was talking to the other side attorney who I know from previous deals, I'm not going to name any names, but I already prefaced that. I was like, I don't like this guy. I've had bad. And so she, I was on the phone with our attorney this morning and she's like, yeah, I was telling him, and uh, she's like, my, my agent's not going to like that. And she, he goes, oh, Matt? He's like, yeah. He's like, I've done some deals with Matt. He's like, I, yeah, we, I know how he feels. And I know, and it's just always been one of those things where like, if I, if I feel a certain way, I'm going to let you know. Um, and so I'm sure like it was written all over my face. And I don't know why I even felt the need to tell these guys that either, which is so weird. I don't know if I was looking for validation from them because it, they were, I guess at that point they were somewhat role models, I guess, to me. And so why I would look for validation from them for something non-real estate related. But I think it was also like, Hey guys, look, I'm, I'm a supervisor. So I'm kind of like you, like, I'm not just a regular nobody. Like I have this capability. And, um, so yeah, it was, a, I think it was an immediate, like, Oh no, I, I didn't get the response that I looked for. But then I think that turned me around and being like, I don't need it from them. Like it, it just, I think I just have to do this thing my own way. And I think there was certain, I think it made me rethink everything I had ever seen from them. And I was like, I'm not even like them. Like I, I, this whole entire time I've wanted to be them so bad, but then I look and I'm like, these guys aren't fitting who I am anyway. They might be doing what I want to be doing, but they're, they're not who I am or who I want to be. Like, even when I first became an agent, I wore a suit for like the first 26 days. And then I was like, what <laughs> is this? <laughs> There's not a chance. I was like buying a new suit to like taking pictures of them, showing up to showings. And I just felt so boxy. And then like, I was like, this sucks. And so it was just another thing that I added 
that I didn't really want to, that I was just doing for somebody else or what I thought I should be doing. And then it just became, and then like that inner self of me being like, dude, just be yourself. Just like you've always like, you know? And so I was like, yeah, so I don't ever do that. Like I got tattoos and I, like, I'll show up how I show <laughs> up. And it's like, if you want to work with me, cool. If not, you know, we shouldn't be working together anyway. But yeah, it was tough when they told me that for sure. Tail between the legs immediately. That is great, man. I love that response. So like, let's talk about the transition then. So you said it was tough and you were fighting against the grain the whole time. And I could totally relate to you because I've always been a t-shirt real estate agent too, because the suits just are not my thing. Um, so how, I mean, this was a self-discovery story really. So like, how did you end up identifying who you are and how you could still profit off that model no matter what? Yeah, I think it was, I think so after that, um, I ended up getting a phone call from my dad on my pretty much around my 21st birthday. And, and so he was like, Hey, um, at the, so anybody that's not listening, that's not from Illinois or Chicago, uh, this, this, uh, the lyric opera of Chicago. So he's a stagehand for the last 40 years. They build the shows, they build the sets, they move the pieces around lighting props, the whole deal. We build Lollapalooza, all the big events, outdoors, all the theaters, everything like that. So called me on my 21st birthday and, uh, or around there. And he was like, Hey, job opening because I he had you know sure had seen my last five years of uh working and he's like this something needs to change here and so he um was like hey I got this job opening here it'll change your life come here and so I went there and I think just from like being there and being like okay this is cool but this isn't it but then I think at that point I really dove into real estate and I think once I started all these people that would come to me and ask me questions and ask me different things about real estate and really were like kind of putting their, their faith in my responses and in like, you know, I was referring them to different mortgage people and different and they were trusting my opinion. And I was like, and I think that was kind of like a validation aspect as well, where I'm like, all right, I can say it'll be like a, a tunnel of like, I'm saying it to myself and I, I believe it. And I, I know I could tell myself and I believe myself, but then when I'm telling these people and they're coming back to me and asking questions and they, you know, or I'll get random phone calls and I'm like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe I'm not an idiot and I, I do know what I'm talking about. And so I think that helped when I started that job and I was able to get around people that trusted my my knowledge i guess at that point which isn't saying much because they didn't have you know they're normal i always say like normal people aren't expected to know real estate they're not expected to know things well and that's and so something that's so least knew more than them exactly they say that if you know 10 percent more than somebody in a subject you might as well know 100 percent more right you're <laughs> yeah, a genius thousand percent a yeah. thousand percent so let's let's dive into the story one of the questions i want to ask you is you get this job it's a probably it's a good paying job at this point but it's not where you want to be I want to ask you the maybe the controversial question of do you do, should someone take the advice of the man in suits where they don't work a job but then have to provide their own basic needs or should they build their passive portfolio within the comfort of having like secure income Yes I think that is um that you you know just you guys know it's just that's a question that gets you know so many especially first time investors ask. my 
always conversation with people and I probably said it a thousand times is like everybody's situation is different, of course. And so like, I always recommend if somebody comes to me and they're like, Hey, I'm a single guy or a single girl and I have no kids, no responsibility. And I want to start investing. And I'm like, do you own a home right now? No, I do not. I'm like, okay, well, if you wanted to, and you want to sacrifice a little bit, go buy a three or four unit property and go live in it and do that route and whatever. So as my journey began, I started talking to more people, different things fit for different people, of course. And so, I have a buddy of mine who has a great job working for um, ComEd. And so he saw what I was doing and he's like, hey man, I wanna buy investment properties. But he's like, I don't, I don't really need or want to quit my job. He's like, I just don't wanna work as much overtime. So he's like, I just wanna do something that can supplement enough where I don't have to work overtime. And I'm like, okay, cool. Not my preference because my job, I hate it. And so I was like, what do I need to do in order to leave here completely? And he's like, Hey man, I got a pension. I got all this. I don't mind it. It's like, yeah, I'm sure it sucks at some point, but like, I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do this. How much do you make an overtime per year? Okay. Let's make a business plan about how many properties or whatever we need to do in order to supplement that. So you don't have to do that anymore. Um, so I, I think you, it's tough. So I would say if you're a single person and you have, or at least you have the ability, of course, like house hacking or, or multifamily hacking and buying a multifamily is got it. I tell people all the time, if I could redo my entire strategy, I would probably start there where I would buy that four unit or three unit, especially, you know, back then around like 2011, 2012, I would be, a, I'd be a billionaire at this point, you know, with the prices that were back then. Um, but I would say that is one of the most efficient strategies that you can possibly, if you want to go the traditional financing route and all that, you know, cause I've never, I, I'm still at a point where like, when we'll dive into it, but like the seller finance and creative finance, like I always try to, you know, KISS, keep it simple, stupid with people where it's like, I don't, as we go on our journey together, we will absolutely explore all other options. But I always tell people like what you're, if you're first start starting out, like that first property is your foundation of the house that you're building. And so a lot of people get these big dreams that they Oh, it's my first, it's my first, let's, let's tear down walls and let's do all these giant rehabs and let's get, let's buy the worst house on the block. And I was like, listen, I get it. HGTV and Instagram reels and everything has convinced us that that is, you know, it's so easy, but I go, I promise you, you do not have the skills in your, you don't have the tools in your tool pouch that the second that you tear down a wall and there's something behind there that you didn't expect, you don't have the information or the wherewithal to figure that situation out appropriately. And I go, the worst thing that I could ever wish for in that situation is for you to get so upside down on a project on your first one that you get such a bad taste in your mouth where you're like, I don't even want to invest anymore. I don't even want to do this. Why did I think that this, this me at 17, why would I, maybe I don't want to do this anymore and then just quit on it. And I'm like, I don't want that to happen to you. So I, I always say like, I'm not trying to get you to overspend, but I think that first property should be the most turnkey property that you could possibly get. Uh, you know, we'll try to get you credits and all that kind of stuff and we'll be creative. But I, because in order to, if your goal is to buy multiple properties, if you're building that house and that foundation, that first property is a piece of crap that you're always putting money into and you're always doing stuff to, it's going to be impossible to move on to that next one. And if you do, you're going to be sinking money into this thing and then it's going to stop at number two or you're going to have to sell number two to fix number. It's just not going to be possible. So buy a nice as turnkey as possible, multifamily if possible. And you can live in one of the units and let live there for as long as you can, but at least 12 months, of course. And then you can move on to that next property. And this is a solid one. This one, you don't have to worry about the bones are good. The rehab's already completed for you. Everything is good. And now you can move on in peace 
and and it's like closing your laptop. Look at this thing in 20 years and call it a day. And so I think that's the, you know, and if you have a job that you don't hate, of course, like getting, getting loans with a W2 income, it's a no brainer. Yeah. Like a lot of people make that mistake too, that I see where they, they jump ship too early in their job where they, they're I, not at that income level yet. And they jump ship and now they're struggling to get loans because they don't have that W2 anymore. And I'm like, I get, I know it sucks, but if you could stick it out for another 12 or however, get as many loans with that W2 as possible. Agreed. Agreed. I think that that is one of the things I think that is over preached in real estate is, is leaving your job too quickly and not leveraging the income and the mental stability. But still, it's not that when you stay at your job, you can't do it. It's like you need to take action towards being an investor, but leverage the s safety and security that you have. So I really want to get into the, the journey that you had from becoming a stagehand till when you left your job. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff in that story that was when we did our pre-call that was like so impactful to me. I mean, about the health stuff that was happening in your family and the process and how, how ingrained that culture is that you work there forever. So take us into, you become the stagehand on this, in this opera house. Take us from there to when you finally made the, the transition to leave the W2. Yeah. So I think um, when I first started, like I said, it was, it was a whole new world to me. And so like, it, it, it's kind of like, it's romantic in a way, like you get there and it's a whole new thing and you're seeing family members um, and, and you know, it's cool. And don't, you know, and, and the money was great. Uh, not for the first two years. Let me tell you that that was terrible the first two years. So at, at the opera house, you start off as an apprentice and we work shows. So there's like seven shows, 10 shows or whatever, but you're not guaranteed to be on a show. And so for my first year, I wasn't on like the first four shows of the year. And so my paychecks were like 400 bucks or whatever it was at that time. And it was brutal money. And where I was like, oh no, like I'm making, I can't do any, whatever. So it sucked for a while and it was romantic and it was fun in a way. The hours sucked, but then I'm working like Lollapalooza and I'm backstage at, um, who Eminem performed at Lollapalooza the one year and I was backstage at the main stage and I'm, I'm watching the show from behind the stage with the city skyline in the background at night, the crowd is going crazy. Eminem's performing and I'm backstage on a show that I just built and I get to watch this for free. And I was like, this is insane. And at that point I'm 22, 23 years old. And I was like, as much of the bull crap that we have to go through, like this is some of the coolest stuff that you know that you can do and then you go back to the opera and you're like oh this sucks never mind there's no windows here it's dark all the time it's dusty it sucks and so i think after a few years and again those handcuffs started so every time i'd be like ah, i don't know one department would be like hey do you want to come over here like we want you we want you over here like you'd be good over here and then i went over there and they're like okay why not and then they would promote me they're like okay now you're not an apprentice you're a journeyman and then you're this and then i was in charge of a crew and i was you know, so every time it was one of those things, but you know, that job literally, you could work 120 hours a week. There was periods of time where, uh, where we would do what's called a night gang. And so you'd show up at 8am. And if, if that night we'd have a night show, and if that was the final show, we would work the night show, which usually starts at seven 30 ends maybe 10 30. And then we would stay there, take the entire show down, load it into the trucks and then send the trucks out. And then the next show that would have to be up up and running the next day for a matinee, so a, a one o'clock show that probably had rehearsals in the morning. So then we'd have to load in the new show, 
unload it, build it. So you would work sometimes 40 to 42 hours straight. You get lunch and you get breaks, but like you're not going home and you're working for 42 hours straight, hallucinating and just going crazy. And so and you're doing that on uh, doing this, like Lollapalooza and all those big shows too. Like I remember there was times where I would, we were waiting on a truck and I was there for 26 hours straight. And I remember sitting down at one point and I was like, all right, I'm just gonna sit, wait for this truck for like three minutes. We were waiting for it to back up. And then the next thing I know, I like my head snapped and I was like, what, what's going on? And all my friends that I was sitting with, they were all gone. I was like, how long was I just like, you're just unconscious and you miss everything though. Like that's the crazy part is like, my dad's been a stagehand for 40 years. My grandpa was a stagehand for 30 years. You can see my grandpa's um, signature on the walls in chalk on certain levels of the opera house from 1955, 1956. So it's like in the blood, it's in the DNA. But like, I can even tell my dad. So my dad's got a brother and, and they're completely different. And my, my, my uncle is like diehard union. Doesn't matter. Like I will be here forever. Doesn't matter how many hours. And my dad is been there for 40 years, but he is so like family first now. And he's like, it doesn't matter if you need a day off, let me know. So I think it like trickled down to me why it happened to me so soon where I was like, I got to get out of here. This sucks, dude. Like I'm missing everything, not just like nights out with my friends, but like, I can't go to weddings. I can't go. I'm missing birthday parties. I'm missing like huge life events. And so I think the only thing at that point that I could lean on that I was like, how do I get out of here? Like, what's the What's the goal? How do I get out? And again, I don't have a college degree, barely graduated high school, uh, very little uh, college experience to begin with at all. Um, and so I was like, what do I got to do to get out of here? And I was like, real estate's the thing. And so I started really leaning into that. And I was like, okay, how much money do I need to get out of here? And that started that track of like, how much money do I make here? And I was like, okay, well, I don't need that much money to get out of here. I'll take half of that to get out. Like that's, you know, without jumping ship early, but you know, like, let me get out of here. And so that kind of started my, my Siri is going crazy right now. Um, and so that was like, that started that of like, let me get out of here. Let me figure this out and buy the properties. And, and so I started one by one. And like we were telling before, like, I was like, I can't jump ship early because I, I understand what's needed with the W2. And so I was buying them one by one. And that was nice because it was like any expenses that would have come up at the properties. I was like, oh, I got a paycheck. I just worked a night gang and we're making X amount of dollars this upcoming week. So I was like, I'll just pay. Oh, I need a new AC unit at this property. No problem. And so it was like really easy. But then I wasn't being a real real estate investor because I wasn't keeping track of like my actual expenses. Like what is it costing me to run this property? I just had money sitting around from working this job and making some money from the properties. And so I was just throwing it that way. And I, I wasn't making as much as I thought, or I wasn't running it efficiently. And so I think I, at that point I was like, okay, I really got to sit down with these numbers to know what it's going to cost in order for me to get out of here. And so that was kind of that journey, I think, but it was the, it was that constant missing things. And then like you mentioned before, like the health issues, my mom got sick. And so at a certain, like five years into my, uh, at the opera house, she ended up getting cancer. So that was a big thing. And then she ended up going into remission, but that was like a big, you know, I was leaving work and driving her to uh, the hospital and sitting, you know, she didn't have like insurance because she didn't have a job. She was sick all the time. And so we were going to like the county hospitals and I would have to drive her there in the morning and we would sit in like the cancer floor where she would get uh, the chemotherapy. 
and they, at the county hospital, they don't even do appointments. You just have to show up and it like opens at eight and it closes at whatever time. And so we were just like sitting on the ground. Like I was like, I put her in a different room so she could sit in a chair and I was laying on like the, the hard hospital floor for hours waiting for them to call her name and then they would call her. And so that was like a huge thing. And then she went into remission. So I was like, okay. And being, and I think what kept me there so long too, is because the money was good and the real estate wasn't building itself as fast as I needed it to. And my mom was having expenses with her house and her not working. And so like, I remember like one winter, the furnace went out at the house, at her house, dead of winter and uh, needed to be completely replaced. And so she's like, I don't know what to do. So I was like, I, don't worry. I call a guy and the 3000 bucks, whatever, you know? So I think that's what kept me there. Cause I was like, I want to build this real estate thing, but this thing also was providing me security that like, if I left right now, I can't provide for any, I'm, I could barely provide for myself, let alone anybody else that needs it. Or, you know, so I think that's what kept me there, but also was like, all right, how do I build this faster, but also to a level that like, that will never be an issue where if she needs that, I don't need to be here. I can be there and still give it to her and still give it to anybody else that needs it. And still, you know, any help that's, that's needed. I, I now I can actually physically be there instead of just like making a phone call and be like, yeah, I'll take care of it. Cause it's like, at the end of the day, like your parents appreciate it, but your parents more than anything, just want you to like be there with them as well. And so mm. I think that was the biggest struggle of, you know, at that point, it was just like, you know, like you're just throwing money at problems. I felt like I was that guy and I didn't yeah. like that where I was just, I, I knew that my time was so consumed at this place to where I physically didn't have a minute to myself. I was working, you know, again, 40 hours, you go home for a couple hours and all you want to do is sleep. And then you got a girlfriend or you got a fiance, you got a mom, you got a, all these people that want to talk to you because they haven't talked to you in a week or two weeks or however long. And you're like, I don't, I, I physically can't. My mom wasn't a big texter either. So she was like, try to call me during work. And I'm like, mom, what's up? What's going on? And she's like, you know, and she's like long winded with it. And I was like, I don't have to, I, I, I'm sorry, but I was like, I got to go back to work. I was like, is there something wrong? No, no, I just want to talk. Okay. I'll call you when I get done. Okay. Okay. And so it was like a lot of that. And so I think during those periods of time, I was, I was like, yeah, man, I want to like, it wasn't even, and I, I think I evolved past the point of missing like, oh, my friends are at the bar and I'm here. Like I, you know, it was more just like, I think it was just like that quick grow up type thing where it's like, yeah, dude, I want to see people that want to see me and, and like see my family who I'm missing, like, you know, valuable time with. And I think that was the stress. And then it got stressful because it was like, these things were happening and I'm, I'm not on my own time. Yeah. So like, if so I, let's needed, talk about the if transition I needed to leave between, so you're working these 80, 120 hour weeks. How did you make the time to look at real estate deals and to buy to buy investments? Yeah, so the the good thing about that job is, so you would work and say there's a night show, you'd get a, what's called a dinner break. So we'd come in at eight a.m., we'd build the show, we would do some rehearsals, whatever, and then you get you'd get a dinner break. So the show's built, they've lit it, they've done all the things that they need to do. Okay, guys, go to dinner. And so sometimes that's like four four thirty. Be back at seven o'clock for a half hour. So you'd get like two three hours before the show. And so depending on what kind of day you had or what kind of week you had, you know, you'd get a solid two to three hours. And so these guys are going to, you know, they're going to a restaurant or they're eating or hanging out or whatever they're doing. So kind of everybody breaks off and does their own thing. 
And so some people would go to dinner together and some people would just hang out there. And so my thing was just like, at a certain point, I was like bringing my laptop to work every single day. Um, and I would either have my iPad or a, a, my notepad. And I was just every single day for lunch break for the 30 minutes, for dinner breaks, um, anything that I could do at, in those. Because I was like, I'm going to be here all day. So if I don't utilize this time, I don't, I'm not going to get time at home to do it. Because when I get home, I got to put my head on the pillow and go to sleep because I could be back here in four hours. So I was like, while I'm awake, I need to do it now. And I could be sleeping, but who cares? So I'm literally just doing that for two to three hours a day while at work, trying to do it. And then it then it got to a point where like I was buying properties and then I became an agent. And so like now phone calls are coming in from clients while I'm at work. And I think that was the big like, okay, something's got to change here because now they were cool with it at that point, but they're like, what, what do you got another phone call? And I was like, yeah, I'll be right back. And I was like going in like one of like those small rehearsal rooms to like talk to an internet lead that's calling me about wanting to buy something or, you know, so I think that became a thing where I was like, okay, this is starting to get to a point where I could potentially move this and I can, I can slowly get myself out. And, and they were awesome. They, they told me at one point, they were like, you don't, you know, if you want to, you can work here part-time, you can, but there's no part-time there that like, it was a myth what they were trying to sell me. And I knew it didn't exist. I was like, guys, I've been here for, I know it doesn't exist. There's no way you can only bring me in for 40 hours. It's just not a possibility. And so I would love how you say part-time is 40 hours. Yeah. That's what I was like. Yeah, exactly. Like that's legit. He's like, just come in for shows and come in for this. And I was like, yeah, that's still 40 hours. And I was like, but there's no way that you can guarantee that to me. It just doesn't exist. Um, and so it was one of those moments where I was just like, you got to go or you got to stay. Um, and then, but at that point I had a couple of properties and I had, I had some stuff lined up, but yeah, then basically I, 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 I was thinking about it when I was showering this morning about a couple of stuff that I want to talk about. And like the, I think the why is always so important of like why we do what we do. And so like, whether it's, you know, you guys love this podcast, you guys love real estate, all these things like at any given time you wake up in the morning, you can come up with a hundred excuses not to do something. Right. And so it's like that, why is always that driving factor of why you continue to do something on a daily basis. And like, if it's a superficial, why you, you'll just come up with excuses of why you're not going to do it. So if the, if the why to do anything is like, oh, I want to be rich. Being rich is so super like, that could be replaced with I'm hungry. Like that's how like shallow I, you know, like as soon as you get hungry, you're like, Oh, I still want to be rich, but I'm also hungry. So I'm going to go eat real fast. And you know, and that could just be a thing. And so I think the why is such a, a, a an important thing. And so like a lot of people have kids, I don't have kids yet. And I'm sure like once that happens, you know, that'll be the why. But I think the driving factor was uh, my mom's cancer ended up coming back. She, uh, and it got real bad. Like when it came back, it was real quick kind of. And so I remember there were so many moments like when it came back where I was at the opera and I was getting like phone calls all the time of like um, either from the neighbor, our neighbor at that time was fantastic. She, they lived next to us the entire time. And so calling me all the time and saying like, Hey, uh, the ambulance is at your mom's house right now. They're taking her. She, you know, she passed out or whatever. And she's at the emergency room. And so getting these like phone, every time my phone would ring, it got to a point where like every time my phone would ring, I would get like this panic and this anxiety. And so again, the opera was cool. And my boss was cool at the time where like, I'd get a phone call and they, they kind of knew what was going on. So I'd get a phone call and I would just kind of look over and, and he's like, you gotta go. And I was like, yeah, I gotta go. He's like, okay, so go. And then got to a point where I was like, I, I should be there in those moments, like before it even happens. And now I'm just showing up at the hospital and it got worse and worse and worse. And then they ended up giving me three months off. 
um, and she ended up passing away. And then I think I was off for three months. And so I was off for probably like two weeks after she passed and I came back. And again, it was like a romanticized version when I came back. Like everyone's coming up to you, what's up? And you, you, you kind of miss being around people at that point because you were just like isolated for so long. And then um, that lasted for about two days. And I was like, oh yeah, this place sucks. I don't want to be here anymore. And, and I think, and then like I mentioned in our pre-call, like I, there was a point where I was at the, I was listening to like voicemails and I probably have, and I say every phone that I've gotten since then I've transferred them over. I have probably like 50 voicemails from uh, my mom calling me while I was at the opera. And she's like, Hey man, it's me. Uh, just call. I know you're at work. Just call me when you get a chance. Call. I know you're busy. Just whenever you get a chance. I had 50 of them. And then I didn't even mention, but nine months prior to that, my, my stepdad passed away too. And so I got voicemails from him as well. And so I had a panic attack out of nowhere. One of the last phone calls that I got saying like your mom is sick. And I remember like, I just, there was nothing that I needed to do besides like just run. Like I, I looked at my boss and he was like, what's up? And I was like, I gotta, go. and he's like, you gotta go. And I was like, yeah. And the only thing I wanted to do is I lived about two miles from home from where I was working. I left out there and I ran two miles home and I had like this immense panic attack. And like, it was one of those moments where it woke me up where I was like, that's the why, like I can never go back to that environment where someone can tell me you can't go home. You got to do what I'm telling you to do. Like you're clocking in. And once the job's done, you get to go home. Like there was nothing more important to me in that moment than like, if I need to be somewhere for whatever reason, whether it's a person, a family, someone needs me, I'm going to like, there's no, nothing is going to stop. Nothing's going to get in my way. I used to, I was so busy at one point, like my, my wife who was my fiance, she's like, Hey, what are you doing? It'd be a Thursday. She's like, what are you doing on Saturday? What's your plans on Saturday for work? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like it was so up and down with our schedule. I couldn't plan 24 hours in advance. And so that was the final moment where I literally came back to work like two days later. And I told my, I was like, I'm done. I was like, I'll give you whatever notice you need. Um, and he tried to get me to stay, but I was like, it doesn't. And then that was it. And I had guys there that, you know, they understood, but it was that limiting beliefs of them being like, you'll be back. And they were making bets about me coming back. And it was fun. Like nobody had any, you know, ill will, but they're like, you'll be back. And there was le legit bets about me coming back. And they were like, what if you make no money? And I was like, God, like at that point, you know, me staying there up until that point, I was like, I need to make X amount of, it was financial dollars of how, what I needed to make. And then that situation happened. And I was like, I genuinely, you can take this to the grave. I don't care if I make $0 for the next 12 months, 24 months. I don't care if I ever make another dollar in my life. It doesn't matter to me. I'm leaving here and I'm never coming back. And I can tell you that as soon as I left, I've never been presented more opportunities in my life than when I left. And that's not to say, like we talked about before, like, should you leave early? Should you not do the job at all? Like, I don't think it had anything to do with that. I think it happened for a reason. I think that whole experience happened for a reason. And, but the amount of time and effort I was able to put into myself and everything else around me at that point gave me what I have today and allowed me to do what I need to do in order to be where I need to be to now where I never have to do that again. Somebody gets sick and I need to be by their side for three months. I can do that. And I don't ever have to worry about that again. So now I, that I you that reached your place. freedom, you left the story continues. You buy more properties, you become an agent or you were an agent at that point. And you've now hit this number where you can live 
decently comfortably on your passive. We'll call it passive. You know, it's probably not perfectly passive on your almost passive income. Let's say, what does your life look like? I mean, if you had a billion dollars in the bank and a hundred lifetimes of cash flow, like how would you structure your time and your freedom? I know. And that it's so funny. Like, that's a good question because I think of like when, during our pre-call, when you were like, how did you even get into real estate? And I, I told you about like my mom's boyfriend at the time, like collecting rent money. And I was like, I don't know where, I don't know. I don't know if there was like a defining moment. I don't know where it came from. And I, I, I try to think sometimes too, like growing, like when I was growing up, did I ever envision myself in a certain way? Did I ever say like, you're going to be a millionaire or like the, so I don't think I, I just don't know if like it matters. Like, I think it's now become a point where like the dollar number doesn't matter because we all know in real estate, like it could be 15,000 in net this month. It could be 10,000 next month. If I have a bunch of expenses, it could be 20 if I have a bunch of, you know, so it's all the ebbs and flows of, of everything. And so the dollar amount doesn't have, doesn't matter. It's to me, it's I've now over the last however many years, it's assets and, and liabilities. So I literally, I have a notepad that I've a couple of years ago and I wrote out like, what is my lifestyle now? And I wrote out every single thing of what I have. So at that point it was, you know, the, the condo payment, the car payment, the cell phone, all of these things. What is, what is the current lifestyle? What does it cost? And then I wrote out like the ideal lifestyle, like an ideal realistic lifestyle. I want to go on three vacations a year and it's going to cost me this. My ideal car payment is this for like a nice car or two car payments if we both want to get nice cars. And, you know, so I wrote out the ideal one and I was like, okay, here's the current lifestyle. Here's the current income that's coming in. Where am I at? So basically at one point I was just like, okay, I want to do this. How many properties do I need to buy at an average cash flow of this in order to suffice this? And so I got a nice car that I just bought. I didn't buy that thing though until I made sure. And so I did a two purchase deal with a guy out in the South suburbs for two section eight properties. And it just so happens that the, the income, the net income from both those properties is my car payment for downstairs. And I did that on purpose. And so I can justify it because they're getting paid off by something else. And so I, I think that's my, Every, it always changes, of course, but I, I don't see myself as like, I'm, I'm definitely not flashy. I got this and like four other shirts. I got, you know, the, the car is the nicest thing I have. I was, I was doing a life insurance policy or what was I doing? And I had a, I had to write everything out of what I have and like the cash in the bank, the real estate, all that kind of stuff. And then when it got to like anything else, I was like, all right, I got a MacBook. I got a, like, I like, I just don't care. I don't buy myself stuff. It's just like, uh, and I'm not a guy either where I'm like every dollar I get, I reinvested into a, you know, I try to be good, but like, yeah, I just don't buy myself stuff. I don't, you know, so I try to be realistic, but I think now it's, um, experiences. Like I want to go on vacations. I want to be able to, I want to be able to do stuff. We just did Key West two times in a row. Like we went in June and then my birthday's in July. And I was like, well, I'll just come back here in July. So we did like seven days the first time, seven days the second time. Um, just talked to my dad. We went to Ireland two years ago, I think it was. And so we were talking the other day and I was like, man, like we went and it was awesome. Like I have family there and we met all the family members and some of them are older and I haven't seen them since I was in sixth grade when I went there. And I was like, I'd love to do that again. And so I talked to my dad. He's like, let's go. And so we're going to go probably in whatever, March, April, May, June, one of those nicer, warmer months. Um, and so I think that's what it is. I, I have an ideal, like, you know, a regular house that's nice, you know, but not, I just want enough to where 
I was watching an episode of a podcast, I think like Rogan or whoever it was, but and he was like, somebody told me like you you're rich when you can go to a restaurant and you don't even look at the bill. Like you can leave a nice fat tip and you're not cons- like, that's living, man. Like, that's what I like. I want to be able to go out to and, and not have, and I'm not saying like, don't look at the price tag. Like I'm going to Louis Vuitton and stupid stuff like that. But yeah, you, us three want to go out to a dinner and it's going to be a nice dinner. Order whatever you want. Who cares? We're going to laugh. We're going to have a good time. And when the bill comes, slide it over to me. I'm going to leave this guy a nice tip. And I don't look at my nothing. It's just, yep, see you later, man. Have a Merry Christmas and call it like that's rich to me. Like that's my ideal lifestyle to me is, is to be able to have that and provide that for like my immediate family and anybody else. Like, again, rich for me is like, family members on, on hard times and can't make mortgage payments and stuff like that. Dude, here, here's a mortgage payment. Here's, you know, whatever I can do in that situation. So, and it's not to like, I'm not trying to come off like a, like a charity or like I'm uh you know, the Dalai Lama or anything like that. But I, I just, I think that experience, like that's the why I think is, what this is like i'll never be an instagram flosser in front of my lamborghini and talking about like it just who gives a shit about you know if that's your thing don't get me wrong that's your thing and you're a young guy and that's what's important to you um sure but i imagine as you get older the importance will change like i want to when i have kids like I don't want to do a college tuition plan. I want one of my properties to be paid off and to give that to my kid. And then they can either keep it as a, as an investment property and have monthly cash flow. They can sell it and they can go buy a, go pay for their college tuition. If they want to go to college, um, they can go buy a house. They can go pay for their wedding, whatever they want to do. Um, so I want to, I want that to be the the thing. That's the why for me, I think. Long way. That is absolutely tremendous, man. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much for the inspirational stories, man. Your, your, your ability to power through rejection and find your why throughout this whole process has been extremely beneficial for the audience. Thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business, Matt. Um, and to those of you out there chasing freedom, if you are currently in the wrong place, I guarantee you there's a voice in the back of your head that is telling you every day. So do yourself a favor dive deep into your why and lean very heavily into it do so in the next seven days tell somebody you know that can hold you accountable and before you know it you too will be living a life of freedom so thank you for turning in and we'll catch you on the next one